0: Next chat is brought to you by Walters. While the national season may be winding down, fall sports are just around the corner. Are you looking for a place to host your fantasy football draft with over 30 TVs, free Wi-Fi, and buckets of wings and beers? There's no better place to host your draft party than Walters.
1: With plenty of room indoors or outside on the covered patio, contact Brett at waltersdc.com to reserve your space today.
2: Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
3: The 2 2 delivery. Long swings and hits a line drive down the right field line toward the corner. It's in there for extra bases, rolling to the wall. Long slides in with a two run triple. And the Brewers take advantage of the walks and have the lead back three to one. Here's the pitch. Swing a high drive, deep left center field. Way back, going, going, and long gone over the left center field wall for Lorenzo Cain. Home run number five makes it 7-1 Milwaukee. The kick and here it comes. Fastball inside, ball four. Paces are loaded. Milner the pitcher walks. Does that
0: sum up the day?
3: That's their 11th walk. They just walked the pitcher with a career big league batting average of zero.
0: And welcome to Nats Chat for Monday, August 23rd, 2021, along with Nationals insider Mark Zuckerman of MassInsports.com. I'm Al Galdi, host of the Al Galdi podcast. Well, one day when we're old and gray and we're reflecting on our successes and failures in life, we'll look back upon a weekend in August 2021 during which on a Saturday, we spent four hours and 18 minutes watching a Nationals 9-6 loss at the Milwaukee Brewers. And then the following day, that Sunday, we spent three hours, 53 minutes watching a 7-3 Nationals loss at the Milwaukee Brewers. And perhaps we'll count that weekend as part of our successes. I'm not sure about that. But anyway, what a last few days in terms of lengthy baseball. And uh, unfortunately, it was not successful baseball for the Nationals in terms of the outcomes, although. There are some things a-brewing when it comes to some of these Nationals young players. But, Mark, over the last two days, we have had a combined total of eight-plus hours of baseball. Nats at the Brewers. Welcome to Major League Baseball in 2021.
1: Two baseball games were played this weekend. (laughs) Yeah. And the Brewers won them both, and the Nationals lost them both. And the less we say about that, probably the better. I mean, this is not baseball that is going to captivate anybody. I I mean, even if you're a Brewers fan— Were you excited about the events of the weekend? I would say no, because even though your team won and even though you benefited from the Nationals pitching staff just handing you every free base you could possibly want, you still had to pitch Josh Hader twice (laughs) over the weekend in two games that you were way ahead of and comfortably ahead of. So, If I'm a Brewer fan, I'm actually not feeling good at all about what happened this weekend, but that was... Not clean baseball, not compelling baseball. Like you said, there are bits and pieces within it, things we can pick out and say, okay, that was good, that was interesting. But in the bigger picture, that was not very good baseball this weekend.
0: Yeah, that sounds you hear is the last baseball fan under the age of 25, ceasing to be a baseball fan of how these two games went and the durations of the games. But whatever, Uh, we know that this is an issue for baseball, has been for a while. Anyway, Lane Thomas, can we talk about Lane Thomas you know, maybe a year from now, we'll look back on this and laugh. Although then again, maybe not. This is becoming rather intriguing. And it's not just what he's doing. It's where he's been playing and where he's been batting now over these last two games. So Lane Thomas for the 7-3 Nats loss at the Brewers on Sunday was the national starting center fielder and number one batter for a second consecutive game. Now, Davey Martinez during his pregame press conference Did say that Victor Robles has been under the weather, so I suppose we take Davy at his word on that. But you know, it's hard to ignore, right? Robles has not had a great year offensively, and Lane Thomas is slaying it. He also was the Nats' starting left fielder in Game Number One in this series. Lane Thomas, the guy who the Nats got back from the St. Louis Cardinals for John Lester, and this trade already now is taking on legendary meaning, you know. And again, we'll see what it ends up being, but Lane Thomas has done some kind of job here for the Nats over his time playing for them. He ends up killing it really in all three games. He has another big game here on Sunday. Mark, what's going on here? Have the Nats stumbled into something in Lane Thomas?
1: Here's my question for you, Al. Has a general manager of a 90 or 95 lost team ever won executive of the year? Because <laughs> Mike Caruso could be in the running for it just based off of that one alone, right? Like you said, Let's see a little bit more of this before we get too excited, but just the fact that they got somebody who is playing for them, is showing them something, and could prove to be a part of this team moving forward in any kind of role is pretty remarkable. He has now reached base in 14 of 20 plate appearances as a national. That's a 700 on base percentage for those of you not good at math. And it's not like totally flukish stuff. You know, he's hitting the ball. He's drawing walks. He runs really fast. He's good. He beat out an infield single there. That was one of the ones that he reached base on. He doubled in this game. He stole a base, a little first and third, steal second, force the throw that bounces away and allows a run to score.
3: So the Nationals tie the game. Thomas gets the stolen base, the throw off the glove, of the lunging second baseman Wong. And so on the air,
1: Adams is able to come in and score. There's a lot to like here. And I think at bare minimum, We're talking about somebody who could be a fourth or fifth outfielder for you. And perhaps there's even more in there. We'll find out. Let's see. But so far, you cannot be anything but exceptionally impressed with what Lane Thomas has done and give you reason to say, I want to see more of this guy. Because I don't know what he might be for us, but it's more than I probably thought he was going to be at the time of the trade.
0: Lane Thomas in this series goes seven for 11 with a triple, two doubles, Four singles, three walks, a stolen base, and an outfield assist. He was Mike Trout in this series. <laughs> and Lane Thomas on Sunday was awesome. Three for four with a double, two singles into walk. All three hits came on 2 pitches. This was unbelievable watching this guy work. He draws a leadoff six-pitch walk in the top of the first. He in that Nationals one-run third has a two-out opposite field single to right center on an 0-2 pitch. And then that stolen base you referenced leading to a run-scoring throwing error by the Brewers catcher Manny Pena as the throw went off Thomas's helmet. Thomas has a one-out double to left field on an 0-2 pitch in the top of the fifth. And then he has that two-out RBI infield single on an 0-2 pitch in the Nats' two-run ninth. This off what he did in the loss on Saturday, two for three with a double a single, two walks and a great outfield assist. This off what he did in the game on Friday night. Two for four with a two-run triple and also a single in that game. And what's really interesting watching him hit, he goes the opposite way quite a bit. Like to what you said, this isn't just a bunch of fluky things. This guy seems to know how to hit. And it's so funny because I remember the book on him with an Nats made that Lester trade. It was like, well, yeah, Lane Thomas, he's a real depreciated prospect. You know, I, I don't know. It's, you know, they're getting really nothing back for John Lester. Oh, no, maybe they're not. And maybe just maybe, you know, sometimes a guy, right, is a highly touted prospect in an organization. For whatever reason, it doesn't work out with that organization. You know, think Lucas Diolito. But in a new environment with a new team, all of a sudden, the guy blossoms. And maybe that's happening with Lane Thomas. This isn't like some guy who was never well regarded. He at one time was fairly well regarded in the Cardinals organization.
1: Yeah. And something that happened to him, and I think we all sort of glossed over it or didn't realize this, is Remember when the Cardinals had their COVID outbreak last year, early in the season, it devastated the team and it forced them to scramble in all kinds of ways. He was one of the guys who had it and it kind of ruined his season for him. He never really was the same, played a little bit this year and obviously didn't put up the numbers. Maybe it hurt his standing in the organization somewhat, as got passed over by others. But like you said, there's always been something there. And so maybe it just took some time and now a new environment, a new opportunity to play for it to to come out, I think at minimum, we're seeing somebody who at least the rest of this season should be starting against lefties. And maybe there are even some opportunities for him to start against righties as well, as was the case in this game. Now, like you said, Robles not feeling well. So that probably had something to do with the fact that he was starting, but he can play center field. And that's a bonus in itself, if you can do that. And where this is interesting, I I sort of thought of it as the time when they got him as maybe he could be a right-handed Andrew Stevenson. Well, right now, Andrew Stevenson is back on his way to Rochester, one of the guys sent down today because he's really not getting much playing time, and Thomas is the beneficiary of that. So uh, we'll see where this all goes, but it's possible there really isn't room for both of them moving forward if one of them isn't a starter.
0: No, and Stevenson being optioned to AAA Rochester, you figured it was for what you said to get him some more playing time, but he also has not done well this year. Like, for all the talk about Victor Robles not doing well, and he has not done well, Victor Robles' OPS on the year is 613. Stevenson's is worse at 580. I've heard some people say, well, Stevenson should be playing over Victor Robles. We even had the thing not that long ago, right, of Davey saying it's going to be a timeshare between Robles and Stevenson and kind of intimating that Stevenson's going to play more. It never really worked out that way, but Stevenson's not done well this year, so maybe you are upgrading here with your new fourth outfielder in Lane Thomas. But with Robles, so this under-the-weather thing, I mean, you do buy that. This isn't like... We wanted to bench victor for a few games to give Lane Thomas more of a look.
1: Yeah, no, I I mean, Davey said that he wasn't feeling well, that he went through the COVID protocols to make sure it wasn't that, and it's not.
4: Vic is a bit under the weather the last couple of days. Nothing scary. He went through protocol. Um, Everything came back fine. He just, he's, but he's been sick. So, uh, you know, I want to make sure that, you know, uh, he drinks a lot of fluids the next couple of days and get him
1: hydrated. And uh, as soon as he's ready to play, he'll play as well. So yeah, that sounded absolutely legit to me and no reason to push that if he's not feeling 100%. Now it helps that you have somebody intriguing and young that you want to take a look at who can play center field and has done well. So yes, it helps make that decision a little bit easier. But no, I think Robles is legitimately not feeling well. And, you know, we'll see come Tuesday what that means. I I mean, there's plenty of opportunity to play both these guys (laughs) if they want. They don't have to play Yadiel Hernandez every day in left field, even though he has done well and has earned the right to play more, they don't have to do that. And so there may be times that we can see Thomas in left and Robles in center.
0: Well, another young national who did well on Sunday was Riley Adams. It was a really nice weekend for the Nationals from a perspective of the two young catchers, the two guys in theory battling for the number two catching position long-term behind Cabert Ruiz. We saw some really good stuff from Tres Pereira in game two of the series. And Riley Adams, who has been hitting well, albeit in a small sample size, continued to hit well in this game on Sunday afternoon, one for three with a double and a hit-by-pitch. He had a uh, leadoff full count hit-by-pitch in that Nats one-run third. And then the double coming in that Nationals two-run ninth inning, despite having been down to the count at one point. One, two, 38 plate appearances for Riley Adams with the Nats at the Major League level. OPS of 1,027. Again, small sample size, but again, like Lang Thomas, this is a trade acquisition. This is someone who was obtained in the sell-off who is delivering instant dividends here for the Nationals at the Major League level. And we saw him come through once again on Sunday.
1: And the key there is, you know, with a young catcher, your focus is on defense first. They want him to learn the pitching staff. They want him to get comfortable back there. And they've been pleased with the job that he's done there. Any offense is a bonus. And he's not just giving them any offense. He's giving them a lot of offense. So that has been really nice to see. And, you know, we're seeing this game in and game out now. It wasn't just a couple of big games that he delivered for them. It's actually happening consistently to the point, like we've suggested, where it feels like he's kind of stepped ahead of Barrera in terms of playing time. We'll see how this continues to play out. And like you said, Barrera did have a nice game on Saturday, but at the moment, especially because of the off days, I think you're going to see more of Adams than Barrera as they try to get more of a look at him and see what he can do. And just like with Thomas, The more you get, the better that deal looks when you gave up two months of Brad hand for somebody who at first we're thinking, ah, he's probably just, you know, maybe could be their backup catcher, nothing more than that. You know, maybe he is more than that. And as much as we want to see Caber Ruiz and as much as everybody believes that he is the real deal and will be their number one catcher, he still has to prove it at the major league level. And until that happens, there's nothing wrong with having an alternative here in Riley Adams and Trace Pereira, play these guys, let them do their thing. Eventually, you're going to have a good decision to have to make as you figure out who your two catchers are moving forward.
0: No doubt. And when you think about the sell-off, right, trading away eight players for 12 prospects, it's nice to have this feeling now, if you're a Nats fan, of it's not just the Cabert ruiz josiah Gray show, that there's more to this year. And you know that not all 12 prospects are going to pan out, but let's say Ruiz and Gray work out Adams and uh, Thomas work out to some extent You maybe get some mileage out of Mason Thompson, that's a win. If you just get those five guys to hit, that's a win. The sell-off was a success. And so it's nice to be able to sink your teeth into not just the two obvious guys of Gray and Ruiz right now, but Lane Thomas doing well, Riley Adams doing well. I know Mason Thompson's been up and down, but there's something there with him. This is really good to see. I think if you're a Nats fan, this makes you feel better about trading away all those guys for all these prospects. You're seeing. Already, at least two of these guys doing quite well at the major league level.
1: And we haven't even gotten to the kids they got from the A's for Jan Gomes and Josh Harrison. We haven't gotten to the pitcher they got from the Red Sox for Kyle Schwarber. And we haven't gotten to the other two players they got from the Dodgers, one of which Jim Callis told us Carrillo, the pitcher, could be really something. The other one, the outfielder, Casey, has already been bumped up to AAA. So yeah, I mean, there's a lot, you know 12 players out of all that, and you don't expect them all to pan out. But when you can already have, what, four of them at the big league level making a difference, a fifth may be happening here soon, and then within a couple of years, maybe somebody else or two or more from that group pans out, that is a huge win if that proves to be the case. So I like the fact, not that this is by design, I think they're going to take whatever the best players they could get, but I like the fact that there's so many of them are already here and we have tangible results. It makes it a lot easier than if you're saying that people, okay, We just traded away these eight veterans, and the players we got for them aren't going to be here for two or three years. But trust us, they're going to be good. No, we actually have tangible evidence already of some of these guys, and I think that helps soften the blow a lot of what happened at the end of July.
0: Absolutely. And this is why we say the outcomes of the games don't matter. It doesn't matter that the Nats lost these final two games of the series at the Brewers. What matters are things like Lane Thomas and Riley Adams doing really well in this series, especially on Sunday. That's what matters. Also doing well, by the way, a potential building block who was already on the Nats, Carter Keboom.
3: Next pitch, swung on, hit a bomb to left center, way back, going, going, and gone. Goodbye. Bang, zoom goes Carter Keyboom with his fourth home run of the big leagues this year. That one was way up over the wall.
0: Another good game for him in this loss on Sunday. He goes one for four with a solo homer, smashes a leadoff homer to left center, and then adds two-run ninth. Another 400-plus-foot homer for Carter. He's hitting some tape measure shots here over the last few weeks, this one going a projected 414 feet per stat cast. But maybe even more significant than that was the really nice defensive play that he made for the first two outs in the bottom of the eighth. Breaking ball, swung on, line drive, caught by Keeboom, he dives and tags the third base bag for a double play. Spectacular play by Carter, Keeboom at third base. Bases loaded, Carter on his knees, a good looking backhanded catch of a Luis Urias liner, and then a lunging tag of third base. For a double play. So some defense and then some offense. And Keboom did the thing, that classic baseball thing of he made the nice defensive play in the bottom of an inning. And then to begin the top of the next inning, he came up to bat. And sure enough, he came through in that predicament.
1: What I like, Al, is that over the last two or three weeks, for the first time, we can look at Carter kiboom and say, OK, that's what they've seen in him all along. There's the power. There's the nice defensive play. There are the quality at bats. I mean, we really had not until this point had much evidence at all. We were kind of going off faith of what they were telling us about him as a prospect. We are actually seeing him now do things that make you say, oh, okay, I can see why he was a first-round pick. I can see why they have faith in him and why they think he can still be a good player for them. He's got to do it a lot more, do it a lot more consistently, but we have tangible evidence now, and I think that more than anything is what's encouraging.
0: And oh, by the way, Sunday was a Cade Cavalli day for AA Harrisburg. Cade, Throwing five scoreless innings, four strikeouts versus two walks and one hit, 80 pitches over the five innings. ERA at 279. The future may well be bright for the Washington Nationals. Cavalli into the lineup is 2 2. Swing and a miss, strike three. <laughs>
2: Or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.
3: Davey Martinez is giving Gabe Plobositz one more chance to finish off the inning, but his pitch count is right in right on par with what Harper had last inning. Here it comes. And it's low. Missed badly with a slider from 0-2. It's 3-2. I mean, you're getting these relievers. You can't get an inning in under 30 pitches. It's it's been painful for Jim Hickey, the pitching coach, to to watch this. Harper was 29 pitches for a scoreless inning. Klobisitz is about to throw his 28th pitch, and it's a two-run inning. The 3-2 on the way. And he walked him. It's in the dirt. So Klobositz in this inning has hit a batter. He's walked three. The ball has not left the infield, and the Brewers have two runs on the board.
0: Well, this was a loss on Sunday for the Nationals, and for a second consecutive game, the bullpen had a lot to do with the loss, and there's a good opportunity to get not just into what these guys did in this game, but also what the Nats did prior to the game, a truckload of roster moves. We mentioned one already, the Nats optioning Andrew Stevenson To AAA Rochester, but also prior to the game, the Nats designating Javi Guerra for assignment off Guerra's disastrous outing on Saturday. The Nats returning from rehab assignment and reinstating Austin Voth from the COVID 19 injured list. Uh, He'd been on that since July 29th. And the Nats returning from rehab and reinstating Kyle McGowan from the 10 day injured list. He'd been on that since July 11th due to right biceps fatigue. You then get what you got in this game from the Nationals bullpen, and boy, was this tough to watch. Four Nats relievers combined to allow four runs, three earned in four innings, but it wasn't just that. The four relievers combined to issue eight walks, a hit-by-pitch, and a wild pitch. You know, even like when a guy did well, he issued walks. Ryan Harper tossed a scoreless bottom of the fifth on Sunday, despite issuing back-to-back two out walks. We then got some Gabe Klobisitz, and during his time in the game, he gives up two runs, one earned in the bottom of the six on a leadoff hit-by-pitch of Manny Pena, a one-out four-pitch walk of Colton Wong, a one-out five-pitch walk of Willie Adamas, and a one-out bases-loaded Kristen Yellich ground out that leads to two-run scoring. Thanks to one of the worst throwing errors you'll ever see, Josh Bell. He's done a good job defensively at first base, but throwing may not be his thing. He air a throw to home plate off stepping on first base for the force out.
3: Swing and a chopping ground ball to first. Bell has it. He'll step on first. He'll throw home and throw it away. One run scores. Racing for the plate is Wong, and he will score. Throw to third. Safe there is Adamas. Bell's throw was nowhere near the mark, and two runs score on the play.
0: Then, oh, by the way, Klobisic issued a two-out, six-pitch walk of Avi Sayul Garcia, despite him having been down to the count at 1.02. <laughs> then came, I can't even say it with a straight face, Davey Martinez's favorite, Jeffrey Rodriguez, because it was J-Rod time with the game out of reach. He comes into the game, gives up two runs in the bottom of the seventh on, guess what, a leadoff walk, a six-pitch walk of Luis Arias, despite him having been down in the count at 1.02. And then a two-run homer by Lorenzo Cain, for a 7-1 Brewers lead. And then Austin Voth pitches. He does toss a scoreless bottom of the eighth, but he ended up loading the bases with no outs. This was truly a tough watch, this Nationals bullpen performance on Sunday. The runs were one thing, but the means by which we arrived at the four runs, three earned in four innings, that really was a thing.
1: The walk by Voth was to the opposing relief pitcher batting (laughs) for himself. And I believe it was 3-0. And then a strike, and then he walked them on five pitches. I mean, all right, the less we say about all this, the better. I don't think we need to go through a full breakdown of this, except to make the larger point here, which is 11 walks in total for the Nationals pitching staff in this game, which tied their club record for a non-extra inning game. And they had only done this one other time in a game in which they only needed to pitch eight innings. Because remember, the home team didn't even have to bat in the bottom of the ninth. So it only happened one other time, 11 walks in an eight inning game. And that game in 2019 in Arizona was a blowout loss in which both Gerardo Para and Brian Dozier pitched. If people remember that game.
3: There they go, the three two to the backstop. So the only reason that's not a wild pitch is it's
1: ball four and it's 11 for Arizona as Rainey has walked four batters in this inning. That's what this one was compared to. This was ugly. It is as bad as it gets as far as that is concerned. And I don't really want to say much else about this except to say that I do like what they now have as far as their bullpen makeup. They have some, you know, a good number of guys who offer some potential, a few more guys with some experience. Most of them now are at least pieces that you could say could be part of this in the future, as opposed to all due respect to Javi Garrett, dead weight of having him on the team. So, I like the composition of the bullpen a little bit better now, but they've got to throw strikes. Nothing drives Davey Martinez crazier than walks from pitchers, especially leadoff walks. And this weekend was just filled with them.
0: In terms of the pregame roster maneuvering, I guess you're not surprised by any of that, right? I mean, Guerra, what was the point anymore? And at some point, we were going to see Voth and McGowan back. Disappointing, though, to see Austin, and I know maybe he's rusty, but to see him not get off to a very good start in his latest go-around here.
1: I agree. I, I think he is still potentially an important part of this team moving forward. We have seen what he can be when he's on and in a role that seems to suit him as a, you know, middle inning or even approaching setup role. If you go back to July prior to the All-Star break, he had a 3.35 ERA and Again, they sort of had found that groove for him of of where he was best utilized, and it seemed to be working for him. And then he had three rough appearances at the end of July, and the ERA went up. Then he ends up on the COVID IL, one of the four players who tested positive after Trey Turner did. And they gave him time to work his way back from this. He had a few rehab appearances in Rochester, but you can tell he's still rusty. But they need to see more of him. We need to kind of find out what exactly he is. Could he be a sixth inning, seventh inning, whatever that is? reliever for them. So I think that was good to get him back out there. McGowan also, we kind of forgot about him. He's a guy who at times has looked like he may have something there because the slider is so effective. He was out for, what, month and a half at this point with a bicep strain. So let's see what they have from him. But, you know, overall, you look at the arms now, and they're mostly young, mostly have shown some kind of promise here. I mean, your bullpen is now Finnegan, Thompson, Machado. Both, McGowan, Klobositz, Harper, and Rodriguez. So everyone but Harper is young or relatively young. Everybody but maybe Rodriguez has shown glimpses of something here so far. I like the composition of that. I'd like to see a left-hander in there, which unfortunately they don't have. But at least there are some promising arms there. And now let's see what they can go out and do.
0: Nats starting pitcher on Sunday was Sean Nolan. Uh, The less said, the better. I don't really understand why Fetty didn't pitch on Sunday. I'm sure the Nats have a reason. We don't really know it. Nolan, three runs in four innings in just his second Major League appearance since October 2015, which I think tells you all you need to know about that. I do want to salute, though, Juan Soto, who just continues to get on base at an insane clip. Soto, for the series, goes three for ten with three singles and five walks. He now has a major league leading on base percentage of 446. But it's not just that. The number two on base percentage in the majors is, interestingly, Bryce Harper's at 410. Juan Soto has an on base percentage that is 36 points better than the next best on base percentage in baseball. And when you talk about Harper and him having had, right, the greatest single season any Nationals player has had, 2015. Harper's on base that year was 460. Juan Soto is very much threatening, equaling that, maybe even surpassing that this year. The walks keep coming. There's no reason to think they're going to stop coming. And he just continues to get on base at a crazy rate. And
1: unlike Bryce, who we saw would get frustrated by this and start expanding the zone, especially when the guys hitting behind him weren't getting the job done, Soto's not doing that. He is going to take his walks, he will trust Josh Bell. Ryan Zimmerman whoever it is hitting behind him he's okay with that they're okay with that so he knows who he is and he's not about to change who he is and you know I liked in this game he was still engaged and never get bat even in a blowout game I love the ninth inning at bat against Josh Hader you could see he was into it obviously that's a famous matchup from a particular wild card game a few years ago.
3: Hader the set the kick here it comes swing it along.
1: Soto was still into it. They, you know, they had an outside shot of making that game still interesting in the ninth and he did ground out, but he was fully engaged in. he almost drew a walk in that one. I like the body language from Juan. I like his approach to all this. I, I like the fact that he, as tough as this probably is for him right now, he's not really letting it get to him. It doesn't appear to be that way in terms of when he's on the field and in the game.
0: They showed the highlight on Masson of that night, the wildcard game, and obviously it was really cool to see that. <laughs> It is also a little sad just because, like, that feels like about 10 years ago now for a lot of different reasons, but an all-time memory, clearly. And
3: the Nationals are in front! It's Washington four, Milwaukee 3!
1: Hey, Nats fans, this is Eric Bramer, play-by-play broadcaster for the Fredericksburg Nationals. Time is running out to see the Fred Nats in their inaugural 2021 season at beautiful new Fred Nats Ballpark. With promotions every night of the week and a talented roster that includes Jackson Rutledge, Jeremy De La Rosa, Brandon Bossier, Jordi Barley, and many more, the time's never been better to see tomorrow's Washington National Stars today. Visit FredNats.com for ticket information and follow us on social media at FXBGNats for the latest updates. <laughs> That 5.8 magnitude earthquake outside Washington, D.C. today, which grabbed the attention of millions on the East Coast. One indication, Twitter counted more than 5,500 tweets per second. So many people were on their cell phones that some service went out. The White House was evacuated and all the national monuments were closed for safety inspections. Late tonight, the National Park Service reported a crack was discovered in the top of the Washington Monument.
0: All right. Speaking of memories, we're going to do a little story time here right now, because Monday, August 23rd, is the 10 year anniversary of the earthquake. Now, you know, people who are from California or live in California or anywhere else where they have like real earthquakes probably laugh at us for. Commemorating the 10 year anniversary of an earthquake that was officially 5.8 on the Richter scale. But of course, in these parts, we're rather soft with stuff like this. And this sticks with us what happened on August 23rd, 2011, an earthquake for which the epicenter was Louisa County, Virginia. I certainly remember where I was. I was in my one bedroom condo, and I'm sitting on my couch watching TV. And the ground is shaking. And at first I'm thinking, do I have the dryer on or the washing machine on? Because sometimes that'll vibrate. And I'm like, geez, I don't remember doing that. And then the vibrating kept going on. And I'm like, wait a second, this is getting kind of scary. I would like for this to stop. And then it did stop. But where were you? Because my understanding, and I've never heard this story before, but you have quite the tale to tell from Earthquake Day 2011.
1: I do. This is a particularly memorable event for me, in part because just the, the sheer timing of it. And it set in motion one of the craziest weeks of my life. And this was sort of the first step in that. So where I was was at home. I was actually in my bathroom. So it was about one forty-five, I think, if I remember right, in the afternoon. And I usually leave the house about 2 o'clock to head to the ballpark. They were playing that night against the Dimebacks, 7.05. So at that time, I'm kind of sort of finishing up whatever I need to do to get ready for the game. So I'm in the bathroom, I'm standing at the sink, looking at the mirror, and I felt it two And I had that same, like, what is that? And my first thought was, is that a big truck outside, you know, rolling by kind of causing this? And then, you know, within two seconds, of like, no, I, this is an earthquake. And I've experienced a couple in my life when I was in California, but nothing to that extent, nothing you could really feel anything like that. But I immediately, like, instinctively knew what it was. And I can't believe I even did this. I had the presence of mind to step into the doorway. Wow. And like hold on to the doorway as this was happening. I was kind of proud of myself for that. So the thing ends, you know, and it was obviously very weird, but I also knew okay that wasn't terribly serious like it wouldn't have stuff falling off the shelves and everything. But my next thought immediately was to my wife because she was 8 months pregnant at the time and she's still working, and so she's not at home. And I immediately go to the phone to call her and make sure that she's okay and say, "Hey, did you feel that? Like what do you think?" And she doesn't answer. And so I'm now in, you know, very much expectant father panic mode (laughs) as expectant fathers are tend to be. And I'm like, oh my God, what happened? Why isn't she picking up? I called again. Nothing's going through. She's not answering and thinking like, oh man, what if she was like, if like the earthquake sent her into labor, essentially is what I'm now worried about. I call the office number and somebody else who worked with her picked up and she said, no, she's out at lunch. I'm like, oh, great. Was she in her car? Was she in an accident? What happened? And I also know I've got to leave for the ballpark in a few minutes. And Because at this point, as far as I know, the game is still happening. I'm like, well, I can't leave for the ballpark until I know what's going on with Rachel. She's not answering. I get in my car and I decide I'm going to drive like towards her office, which is in the opposite direction of where I need to go, of course. But I can't in good conscience leave for work without knowing that she's okay. I get in my car. I start heading in that direction. And then she calls me. And says, Hey, I'm fine. Sorry. I left my phone at work. I was out at lunch. I left my phone at work. It's like the first time she's ever left her phone in her life. She always has her phone with her. So, you know, all right. I'm finally relieved from all that. Like she didn't go into labor. She wasn't in a car accident, anything like that. But now I got to get off the highway, turn around, go the other direction and head down to the game. I head down there. And now, if you remember, everybody in town left work and went home early. They basically shut down the whole city. And this led to by far the worst traffic jam I've ever been in. And I've been in some traffic jams here. And I know I know, the snowpocalypse that everybody was in. I, I didn't get caught in that, thankfully. But this one, to me, they use the term gridlock. And I know that, like, that doesn't actually apply in most cases when people say that. Like, the literal definition of it is when cars are stuck in an intersection and can't move, blocking the others. I was in literal gridlock as I tried to get to Nats Park. I'm on 395. I come across the 14th Street Bridge. Normally, I go all the way to South Capitol Street, but it's so backed up. I'm like, all right, I'm going to bail out and get off on Main Avenue and take the back way there. Huge mistake. I sat there. I swear it was an hour, hour and a half just sitting there, not moving. The whole trip, I think, took about two and a half hours start to finish what would normally be like 35 minutes. Or as I'm in the car, I'm getting updates from the Nationals that they're saying, well, the game's going to be on, but it might be delayed. They're inspecting the stadium, all this stuff. I finally get there at, I don't know, five o'clock or something like that. The start of the game was delayed, although they did play. It was a small crowd, I remember. It was not a lot going on in that game. Game ends, head home, all that. Well, here's now the end of all that and what happened the rest of that week. Two days later on, on Thursday, my wife has an appointment at the OB. She calls me and says, hey, you have to come pick me up and take me to the hospital now. What? What's going on? She says, I don't know. The doctor says I'm not feeling well, that I need to go to the hospital now. Okay. <laughs> so now I'm in a panic again. Pick her up. I take her there. They admit her to the hospital. She has preeclampsia, which, for those who don't know, is like super high blood pressure, essentially. And it had reached a point, and she was far along lo- enough in the pregnancy that they needed to put her on bed rest in the hospital. He's not due to be born until October 4th. This is now August 25th that we're there. And the idea was they're going to try to keep her there as long as they can. But there may come a point that they have to decide that they're going to deliver. So four days she spends there, and I'm there with her all day. And then in the evenings, I go home. Thankfully, the gnats were on the road. I wasn't traveling. I was okay. I was able to sort of bypass the coverage for that. And then finally, on the Monday morning, August 29th, I get the call. And she says, okay, we're going to do it today. C-section today. Come on down ASAP. I drive down to the hospital. All along, I've been thinking to myself, my son's going to be born in October after the season ends. This is perfect timing on our part, unintentionally. And instead, no, wait a minute, my son's going to be born on August 29th. (laughs) This was not in the plan at all. In hindsight, it was a great thing because in 2011, it wasn't a problem to have a, a kid's birthday in October. I never had to work in October. But starting the next year, I had to work a lot of Octobers. And so thankfully, I haven't had to miss one of Brian's birthdays since because he was born on August 29th. And so everything went well. He was born. We stayed in the hospital a few more days. He he was five weeks early, but he was healthy. Rachel got healthy a few days later. We came home and I made it back to uh, my first game back from the paternity list, as it were, was Steven Strasberg's return from Tommy John surgery. That was my first game back. It was about a week later. So it all worked out in the end, but I will forever remember that week. There was also a hurricane, by the way, that weekend that clipped us And I was nervous about that while my wife's in the hospital. I'm like, what if I get called? and I got to drive into the hospital during a hurricane. Thankfully, that didn't happen either. But a crazy wild week, and it all started with the earthquake and a week that I will never forget. And now next week, Sunday, will be Brian's 10th birthday. I'll be taking that day off. So sorry I won't be with you for that game against the Mets.
0: That's pretty nuts, all those things that happen like that. It's amazing how the baseball gods or maybe other gods – will sort of orchestrate things and that you end up being better off with him having been born when he was as opposed to October 4th. I didn't realize you returned when Strasburg returned. That's pretty cool, too. We had two monumental returns in September uh, 2011. Who knew? <laughs> That's Who right. knew? That's pretty neat. <laughs> you mentioned the game on Earthquake Day. It was a 2 nothing Nats loss to the Arizona Diamondbacks. Ian Kennedy and two Diamondbacks relievers combining on the shutout. So no, not a whole lot uh, went on in that game. But yeah, you know, it is kind of a self-centered D.C. thing we do of like the D.C. earthquake, you know, like this was this huge thing. It wasn't even a D.C. earthquake. It was a Virginia earthquake, (laughs) but people call it the D.C. earthquake because that's how we are in D.C. But also the thing I remember, too, is the Washington Monument sustained significant damage. And they had to, I want to say, shut it down or at least
1: it was closed for a while.
0: Yeah, right. For for a few years. So that was kind of significant uh, off that. But anyway, Tales of Earthquake 2011, uh, you can always share your stories with us. Uh, you can reach us at the Nats Chat Podcast via Twitter at Nats underscore chat. You can always email us to NatsChatPodcast at gmail.com, including if you would like to share a 2019 Nationals memory as we continue to cycle through those and share with everyone Tales of October 2019. You can get yourself a Nats Chat Podcast t-shirt by going to natschatpodcast.square Dot site. All Nationals radio highlights on Natch Chat are courtesy of 106.7 The Fan. We will leave you with uh, one of our latest World Series voice memos. So this one coming from Tim Newmark of Western Maryland as he gives us his tale of October 2019.
4: Hey, guys, this is Tim Newmark from the Western Maryland area. Still haven't missed an episode of the podcast. You're doing a great job. My 2019 postseason memories revolve around the radio broadcast which is how I follow Nationals games and how I've been following them since the Matt Williams years. Rarely miss a game, and I think Charlie and Dave are the best broadcasters there are. Uh, So the 2019 postseason had three of the great calls in Nat's radio history with Soto's hit and Howie's two homers. And I've listened to the broadcast long enough to understand how Dave's steps to a home run are broadcast. And I'm pretty sure time slowed down for me when I heard his call of the Game 7 homer Dave started out with, line drive, sliced down the right field line. And in my brain, I had a pause and thought, oh, great, it's going to be a double. Then Dave got a little more excited with the words, toward the corner. And my brain started really racing. And then he said, "springer back. And I know what that means, but my brain wasn't sure that I could process it. Then he said, looking up, which as a long-suffering Nats fan was, I still had trouble processing that. And then, of course, and this one is gone. So from the bat to the foul pole, the entire call was about four seconds long. But when this was happening live, I swear to you, time slowed down, and I had seconds in between each phrase to process it, just as I described. Uh, It was just an outstanding call. Such a great call that I printed a poster of the words, and I get to relive that moment every day looking at that poster. So, kudos to Dave Jagler. What a great call. His Grand Slam call was also great, the emotion he put in that. Anyway, that was a great year for Nats fans, great year for me, and uh, great year for all of us. So, Anyway, thanks again for the podcast. You're doing a great job.
3: Take care. No balls and a strike. Outside target, Chirino's the pitch. Swing a line drive, sliced down the right field line toward the corner. Springer back, looking up, and this one is gone. It hits the foul pole, and the Nationals lead. Howie Kendrick has done it again. A slicing two-run homer off the right field foul pole. Do you believe it, Howie Kendrick? Part two. Nationals three and the Astros two. They are jumping up and down in the Nationals' dugout, waiting to greet Howie Kendrick, as Howie Kendrick has provided his signature moment in the World Series.
5: The headlines remind us daily, the world is a dangerous place. The elites in charge say everything's fine, stop noticing, but you know better. And your gut knows that time is short to prepare for a world that is four missed meals away from chaos.